Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I am your gracious and humble host, Jonathan Wiegand, sitting behind the golden OPP microphone and just want to welcome all the thrill seekers, the music lovers, and conversationalists from all across the fruited plain known as the Alpha Quadrant. Now today, boy, do we have a show for you. It is a very in-depth, very entertaining, and, and just for me, it was very enlightening, learning more about the Dominion and how they conduct business, more about the species. And, I mean, talk about brilliant timing here on the podcast. Um, and spoiler alert for anybody that watches Star Trek Discovery, is the Dominion actually resurfaced on um, last week's episode. So talk about really good timing. <laughs> um, I always knew that um, Discovery might deal with the Dominion or the founders in some way because they're literally a thousand years in the future. And anyway, we'll get into that. But yeah, like I mentioned before, today's episode, we're going to be starting our series on the Dominion. And um, basically, they are one of the bad villains of all Star Trek, main villain in Deep Space Nine, and responsible for one of the largest wars in Trek history. Luna? No. Okay, we know Wolf 359 was bad. No, it was not an inside job. Stop that. Get off those forums, Luna. Anyway, um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the specifics of the Dominion race slash organization and the empire that they've created in the Gamma Quadrant. And then next week's episode will be about the Dominion War itself and how the war was fought, the aftermath, the impact of that war, and then all of the players. So Cardassia, Federation, Romulans, etc., etc. And I think this is just a brilliant way to recap the villains, because I know um, there's some people out there that have not watched Deep Space Nine at all, and I know there's people like me that have watched Deep Space Nine literally like four or five times, but it may have been a year or two since you've seen it, so you may forget some of the intricacies and the details, so it's a good refresh, but I promise you, whether it's your first time or your fifth time watching DS9, you will learn something new and that is an opp promise my friends and just a quick admin cleanup thank you so much for uh the love on the news and brews we are we're enjoying it it's fun um we have next week's episode already recorded and ready to come out so uh, be on lookout for that after this one and again thank you so much for that but moving forward luna let's light this candle fun will now commence so for background I've kind of been chewing over exactly how to start this expose on the Dominion, the Gamma Quadrant villains. And I'm going to kind of maybe introduce it the way the DS9 writers did, because that's organically how the Dominion was created. So just a recap like of DS9 real quick. Deep Space Nine is a Cardassian-built base station that is, I think it's out of a little bit out of orbit of the planet Bajor. And now the space station is under the new rule of the Bajoran government and Starfleet has decided to come in and help because 
there's a stable wormhole for the first time ever found. And I know all the Voyager fans out there were like, freaking really? Well, that made this show like incredibly short. <laughs> but um, so Starfleet has come in to protect this um, stable wormhole. Now we see on the Bajoran space station that there is a chief security officer there named Odo. For the first season or two, Odo's is kind of like this lone wolf shapeshifter. We really don't know who he is or where he came from or his people. And it kind of bothers him because he was discovered by some like human scientists and he was experimented on and he just, it just really bothered him. So over the course of the series though, we learn and we discover that he's actually something called a founder and a founder are a class of people that not people, but a class of aliens that run the dominion. And so he's actually part of the dominion and that's going to curtail into who are the Dominion and what are they about? Like, what's the story, brah? <laughs> so now that we've kind of introduced how the Dominion per se have entered Star Trek, there's a, a wormhole from the Gamma Quadrant. Odo is, is a founder. So we just, that's very base. I'm not going to go into the whole plot point of DS9. That's not why you're here. <laughs> so the Gamma Quadrant is actually bound together by the Dominion. And the Dominion is a very tough, very smart, very old organization slash civilization. And they're run by these mysterious founders who are actually experts in <laughs> genetic engineering and are, turn out to be shapeshifters. So shapeshifters, founders, interchangeable there. So not only are they incredibly old, I think they're millennial old actually, um, they're severely technologically advanced. And we'll get into that too, how advanced they are compared to the Federation and other Alpha Quadrant power players. But I believe it's the famous Wayne 4, and not to be confused with Wayne 3, who laid out the threat that said the Dominion has endured for over 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation is crumbled and turned to dust. They definitely have this long-term mindset. And again, we're all going to flesh this out, but so to start it off, the Dominion was founded under the absolute rule of a group of changelings known as the founders, real original, I know. So <laughs> the people that founded it are called the founders and they have their will and their orders carried out through two subclasses of aliens called the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar. And the whole purpose of the Dominion is dedicated to imposing the Founders' quote-unquote vision of order upon the universe, i.e. bringing all civilizations under its control. They are very authoritarian. They don't play around. They're coming after you. And we actually explore that more in DS9 because Odo actually asked um, a female changeling, why, why control anyone? And she responds, because what you can control can't hurt you. And like that's talk about a, abusive. <laughs> that is like somebody's hurt you, bra. Like who's hurt you? And they have. That's why they have that mentality. The whole perspective of the founders was formed because they had this history of persecutions at the hands of quote unquote solids. And solids is a term that the Dominion and founders use for non shape shifting life forms. So everything besides them, pretty much. These solids have persecuted them. So they're like, we're not going to take it anymore. And we're going to literally 
we're literally going to conquer the universe so no one can hurt us. Which, I mean, um, there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis who says, to, to be loved and to love is to be vulnerable. So there, there has to be that possibility of getting hurt to have any type of love or admiration. So, I mean, it's, it's a really sad look into how the founders think and the perspective on the universe. And, but yeah, so that's, that's what they believe. They were like, we're not going to get hurt. So we're going to literally take after everybody. And I mean, it's survival of their species over everything. So the dominion first policy, (laughs) just kidding, kidding, hot mic. Um, yeah, so that's their policy. Any, by any means necessary, we're going to survive and we're going to be number one. They really had no interest in really like what we've seen so far in Star Trek, like honor, like the Klingons do, or peaceful exploration, like the Federation, or material success, like the Ferengi. They they really only care about one thing, and that's self-preservation. To wrap it up, their philosophy is to dominate everything that can be dominated and destroy all that can be destroyed. The founders were, in essence, driven by an urge to impose order on a chaotic universe. So, again, we're going to, there's disorder, and we're going to bring our order with an iron fist. And kind of going from, um, like, a philosophical to actual physical um, explanation, now you're like, man, this is really kind of already more in-depth than we really see, like, with some of these other older um, races and aliens on Star Trek, and that's because DS9 is beautifully written, and a lot of the characters and species are very well vetted and explained. So that is why. Like I said, going into the physical traits of the Dominion, so apart from their metamorphic abilities, the most distinguishing ability of this species is what they call linking. Um, It's a literal physical and mental connection of multiple changeling. So two shall become one. And that is not sexual. That is literally two changelings linking, quote unquote, melting into one uh, being together. So imagine that, but they actually do that on an entire species level and they call it the great link. And it looks like a great lake. (laughs) It's just um, DS9 makes it look like this shimmery golden lake. And there's this thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of founders in there all chilling hanging out being as one sharing thoughts and we learn from Odo that you really can't hide your thoughts your feelings when you're in the great link so it's very yeah it's very all in your grill they really have a strong anti-individualist perspective it's really about the founders the changeling everybody is one the great link preserve the great link above all cost And consequently, the founders seem to even be remarkably unified, even monolithic in a sense. I mean, their most sacred axiom is, quote unquote, no changeling has ever harmed another. And this reflects their both obsession with physical security. You can't harm another changeling. It's never been done. And I feel like looking through and researching, the only really big disagreement between the founders that I was able to see in design or read about was when Odo murdered another changeling and they were trying to decide how to judge him. Which, a big spoiler alert, if you've never watched uh, DS9. But yes, Odo murders a changeling and then they make him a solid because they can do that. <laughs> um, really crazy, I know. Now that we've established that they have this 
sprawling kind of empire. Kind of reminds me of like the mob. They have the sprawling empire. They rule it. They have an, a heightened sense of self-preservation above everything. So how, how do they bring this chaotic universe into order? And that's a great question that we're going to go into. Um, again, to put in perspective, this also deals with how old the Dominion is. Uh, Wayun 8, gosh, and you'll understand why there's like Wayun 3, Wayun 4 in like two minutes, is that Wayun 8 even stated the Dominion has never surrendered in battle since its founding 10,000 years ago. And like I mentioned at the very beginning of the episode, changelings used advanced genetic engineering to create two servant races, the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar. So on, on behalf of the founders, these two species begin expanding Dominion territory through diplomacy and military conquest. And by the mid-24th century, they've conquered hundreds of species in the Gamble Quadrant. They are the main players. And they have a very strict hierarchy inside the Dominion. Founders are at the top, Vorta are the administrators, and the Gemitar are the soldiers. And this whole agreement, arrangement is referred to as the order of things. And deviation from that is punishable by by death. So Jem'Hadar can't usurp Vorta. Vorta can't challenge Changeling. It is the classes they're in forever. And if you deviate from that, you're going to be put to death. (laughs) So no room for uh, equality or equity or whatever. It's just boom. That's the way it is. The founders ultimately had complete authority, and their decisions could not be questioned under any circumstances by the Vorta or the Jem'Hadar. And the funny thing is, like, they're, the Dominion is so preoccupied with self-preservation. However, they're really just largely apathetic to the affairs of solids and um, just kind of really content to leave the administration diplomacy aspect to the Vorta. Like, hey, like, I don't want to deal with these people. They're awful. You deal with them kind of thing. So they created and genetically bred like office administrators. <laughs> so think of them that way. So they're clones. So that's why it's like Wayun 3, Wayun 4, Wayun 8. They're just clones of the same like Wayun. And Wayun is the name of a Vorta. So that's what that's where that comes from. So you may ask yourselves like, well, how do the Vorta are above the Jem'Hadar? So how do the Vorta, Vorta command the Jem'Hadar? And like we, like I mentioned before, they're genetically engineered, genetically altered. And the Jem'Hadar are chemically and genetically dependent on a, I guess, chemical mix, I don't know, hybrid shot, I guess you could call it, called Ketracel White. And they need it to survive. If they don't have Ketracel White, they'll die. I know DS9 got into, I think there was an episode with O'Brien and Bashir where like they crash landed and they find this um, surviving like Jem'Hadar that have been without the white for like a really like couple months or a year even. And they're like, we can survive without it. We don't have to take orders from the Vorta anymore. We can break. And of course that didn't go well and they're eventually killed. And, <laughs> and that's really a turning point in the war, which we'll cover next episode is when the Federation starts destroying these um, large... Um, storages of Ketracel White in the Alpha Quadrant because 
The soldiers need it to survive and take it multiple times a day. So it's literally like a drug to the Jem'Hadar, this Ketracel white. And again, like I mentioned before, the founders, not only do they leave administration to the Vorta, they kind of just rarely deal with the Vorta or even the Jem'Hadar. And this has led to myths and a religion based in the Dominion saying the founders are gods, that they are worshipped as gods, they're revered as gods. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. Um, Jim Jones would be proud of what the founders were able to build. It is exceptionally cultish in that fact that it is not only are you genetically bred to obey and to fight, but genetically bred to worship as well. There really is no waning loyalties there. Or is there? Maybe. <laughs> so when you're genetically bred and you're believing that you're supposed to worship and obey the class above you and so forth and so forth, you think it'd be very monolithic and united. There would, really wouldn't be any issues or disagreements. Again, everybody's built to be this way. However, there are some internal pressures between the Vorta and the Jemadar big time that we see in DS9. Um, these two servant races uh, that the founders created regarded one another with barely disguised contempt. And a delicate balance existed between the Jemadar troops and the Vorta overseers. Like I said before, the Vorta give the Ketraso white to the Jemadar so the Jemadar can live. So basically it's like, look, if we kill you, we won't get the white, so that kills us, so we obey you, so we can get the, the catcher's all white. I know I just mentioned that logic that, hey, why would I kill this Vorta? It eventually will lead to my death. That still doesn't always, like, excuse it. Sometimes it actually does happen where the Jem'Hadar will kill their overseer Vorta, and ooh, that's yes. uh, fun happens. <laughs> um, hilarity ensues, we'll just say that. So it's, it's rare, but it, again, it's not unheard of. It's not unheard of. One of the biggest things that I've been able to notice, like getting into DS9 and, and seeing it and seeing how the, the Dominion deals with the Federation specifically, you really get this carrot and stick philosophy from the Dominion. I mean, the carrot being the Vorta, you, they would like come to your planet and be like, hey, you're nice people. Here's some M16s and some popcorn and... Like, whatever you want, baby. Uh, alcohol, firewater. I mean, it's all yours. All you have to do is sign this little contract and we'll make it all cool. Cool beans. And then there's Jem'Hadar. And so if you push back on the Vorta and be like, we don't want to sign with you. We're not joining the Dominion. Uh, Vorta will say, oh, okay. You don't want to play ball? Then meet these guys. They're the Jem'Hadar. They're going to kick your butt. <laughs> and this was the basic diplomacy strategy of the Dominion. If you're some small world that doesn't have a lot to offer, you would take this because it's a good deal. Like you don't want to like get completely massacred, but you also get a little bit of protection with it. So it's just, it's a deal with the devil almost. Again, it kind of reminds me of the mob. We see this strategy frequently used and it really wasn't your military might during the initial contacts but rather kind of take over the influence and quote-unquote espionage. Um, I mean, they always seemed reasonable. The Vorza always seemed reasonable at the beginning. And, I mean, there's even some species, like I mentioned before, your smaller world, like the Carmia, 
I mean, they really didn't have any real interference from the Dominion. It was fairly minimal, and it was just restricted to that material support that you're supposed to pay them every, I think, like month or quarter or whatever it's set up as. So for like a prospective member, like if you're thinking about joining or the Vord are knocking on your door, I mean, at first contact, the Dominion may have appeared helpful or even benevolent. Um, they seem like good guys. Like they just wanted you to join their quote unquote trade federation. <laughs> Who put that in a, a, I don't even know. It's a kid's movie and you're going to start, Never mind. Whole other thing. I'm not going to get into that. Um, again, we see this a lot in DS9. A typical Dominion strategy was they're going to make concessions in the short term for an advantage in the longer term, may, which may be take centuries to develop and, and finally get their advantage, but they're going to do it because they're going to play the long game longer than anything we've seen in the Alpha Quadrant. The founders like had extreme longevity as is, like physically. Um, I mean, they were practically immortal and it provided them with a unique, long perspective of time. So, I mean, if they made small concessions for the first hundred years of a contract with a planet, that's fine because they own your butt for the next 900 or something like that, you know? So we even see this in a couple episodes where we have those like genetically altered um, people come and visit Bashir and they work with him and they try to like look at Dominion strategies and, and war plans. And um, Jack described that the Dominion does not adjust its strategies based on what has occurred within the past week or even the past year, but is concerned instead with what the universe will look like centuries moving forward. And I mean, we'll get into this next week's episode when we cover the Dominion War, but it was definitely evident in their kind of long-term war of attrition, counting on their superior construction methods and their ability to breed Jemadar rather than just have these epic one-off battles the whole war would be decided upon they like to just space it out because they could win this long war of attrition and that was their plan that blew up in their face like a cheap pool toy <laughs> speaking of the dominion war and the minion coming into the alpha quadrant like i mentioned earlier in the episode they're they're technologically more advanced extremely more advanced than other species or races in the alpha quadrant um, they don't have phased energy or disruptor beams. They have like Polaron beams. And ultimately what we see, what that does outside of a science perspective is that it really acts as an anticoagulant in humans, kind of makes them bleed a lot more, especially in the episode where they recover the down dominion ship and Jazia Dax get hit with one of those beams and she just can't stop bleeding. So that is a little bit like Easter egg in there. Okay. Maybe that's what it does. But I think the writers were just writing science stuff in my opinion, <laughs> making it work. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they ultimately had more firepower and again, I'm trying not to go too much into next week's episode, but we see the Federation adapt to that and kind of equal the playing field so that it's not, um, completely one-sided for the whole Dominion War. There's one line that's really great because it kind of sums up what the Dominion learned and thought about Starfleet and their technology. And it's, um, I forget the episode, but he, um, Avorta is lamenting because these Starfleet engineers 
were able to turn rocks into replicators and that they were able to just do amazing things and work miracles. And the Jemadar and the Vorta couldn't do that. You know, they, they had this technology, whether they acquired it through, through conquest or through um, their own technological like development. Either way, they were no match for Starfleet engineers. And so that definitely gave an advantage. So now that we've gone over and learned more about the Dominion in Star Trek, I was curious, why did the DS9 writers choose this species? Why was it the Dominion being the bad guy in the Gamma Quadrant as opposed to another Alpha Quadrant, like Baddie, or maybe more of an internal enemy? I don't. I mean, there's a lot to play with, especially with Cardassia. Jeez, and the Holocaust they did against the Bajoran people. I mean, that I that is one avenue that they could have taken for the main villain of the show. And as we know, like a little callback to TNG, the Ferengi were actually the first choice of the main villain on the show. And that if you go back and rewatch, especially season one and season two of TNG, the Ferengi are like a different vibe. They're kind of menacing or almost somewhat intimidating. But the audience thought they were kind of laughable and not really serious. And so the TNG writers had a shift to the Borg. And the Borg became the main villain in several um, Star Trek series. So the Dominion resulted from several meetings of the writing staff for DS9. And they wanted to establish a villain in the Gamma Quadrant during the show's second season. It's true. It's very subtle. In the second season, it's like the word Dominion is dropped like breadcrumbs every now and then. you And if this is the first time watching it, you're not really paying attention. You're like, whatever. It's a space station. Stuff comes in and out all the time. And you don't really kind of piece it together until, okay, those breadcrumbs are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, God, they're the villain. <laughs> and even the famed showrunner, producer, Ira Stephen Burr, once referred to the Dominion as, quote, an attempt by the staff to come up with something specific about the Gamma Quadrant. It was that they wanted to give a quote-unquote face to the Gamma Quadrant. That Voyager was going to be going around the Delta Quadrant from place to place, meeting new people every week. And we wanted to make the Gamma Quadrant completely different than that. So they made the Dominion. And again, that was a golden age of Star Trek we talked about last week, is that we had Voyager in the Delta Quadrant, and then TNG, and then DS9. So instead of... There being this big, mysterious unknown out there, you know, in, in this unexplored quadrant of the universe, um, which all the other Star Trek shows had done at that point. And Voyager was doing that in the, in the Delta Quadrant. So they want to do something really specific and dangerous and organized and quote unquote nasty to separate itself. And I think they definitely um, achieved that. And I love this description that one of the writers says it's like the dominion was conceived as sort of a unifying anti-federation in a way just to give it a completely different character vibe and it really is like if you think about it it's instead of peace and equality and and respect and and peaceful exploration it's authoritative it's dominating it's intimidation it's conquest there's nothing peaceful about it it's it's almost like in that Vader line, it's like, pray I don't alter the deal further. So it's like they can just do whatever they want. Very anti-Federation. And it was a great kind of backdrop because you can kind of even argue which 
kind of philosophy and political style will last longer. And that's a whole nother can of worms that we're not going to get into today. I mean, think about it. Yeah, if you can go deeper, like Dominion was represented by a vast amount of alien races, hundreds of worlds, just like the Federation, completely fascist-like and completely opposite of the Federation. And the fact that they also came up with three alien races at the same time was um, very calculated because according to a lot of the writers, the concept of introducing three species at once, as opposed to the more traditional Star Trek method of introducing major races one at a time, this was the fact that they didn't want to risk everything on one species, which may not work. So if you're going to make kind of like they did with Frangi, uh, maybe they're learning their lesson. They're like, hey, we don't want a mistake like that. Put all of this time, all this effort into making this villain. Villain fall flat, and then we're stuck with them, you know? So if the Dominion was basically a single race, and the audience didn't accept that race, the ramifications for the show would have, like I said, would have been disastrous. So but air on the side of caution, introduce three, and at least one of them <laughs> would have was bound to work, and they did. And I think as it turned out, all three races were accepted and great and no issues from the um, audience even to this day. One idea that the writers never really utilized on screen was that the Dominion knew about the Federation long before the Bajoran wormhole was discovered. And they were actually developing a long-term strategy to deal with the inevitable contact that was going to happen, whether in 500 years or 1,000 years or whatever it is. And again, one of the writers with the last name Wolf explains, the Dominion knew the Federation was out there long before the wormhole was open, and they had plans to deal with the Federation and projections on when they were going to enter their space and slowly build up a kind of a wall almost to in defense of the Federation when they were able to make first contact. So a little fun fact for you there. But that has been our... Uh, expose on the Dominion, on why they are the way that they are, their physical traits, their philosophy traits, their how they rule, how they are able to in, enforce that rule with their genetically altered and genetically engineered uh, servant races. <laughs> and uh, saying that just sounds dirty. And so it was. it's a great insight into one of the, the baddest villains in all of Star Trek. So thank you so much for the ride along. And Luna, let's wrap it up. Oh, oh, that that's a great point, Luna. Thank you. So in the beginning of DS9, the series, um, we find out that the Dominion just send out hundreds and thousands of little founder babies <laughs> out into the universe. And they genetically engineered them to eventually call back home, wanting them to come back home. And the reason they did that was because they wanted to garner influence and control across the universe. And I mean, it really worked in Odo's case because he was on the freaking space station of the main enemy close to the wormhole during the war. So they were obviously Odo wasn't on the side of the dominion on the war, but talk about influence even still in that situation. So that's why they did that. I mean, and in, in is this what we saw on discovery too? You know, is it, there's some long lost dominion baby that was sent out that we see in this kind of 
uh, ring fighting arena or is it just this, oh, okay, she's established, she knows who she is. So, yeah, we'll have to see on that one and see how Discovery plays it out. But, like I said, we have our News and Brews new episode coming out early next week. Also be looking for next week's episode on the Dominion War. And please check us out on social media. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Happy to hang out and talk with you guys, hearing your suggestions. Always remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And lastly, second star of the right, straight on till morning. <laughs>